Welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Ben Hunter, Booktopia's fiction category manager. This is a podcast about books and the brilliant people who read them and write them. Emily Bitto is a Melbourne-based writer. She does fiction, poetry, and nonfiction. She has a master's in literary studies and a PhD in creative writing from the University of Melbourne. Her debut novel, The Strays, was winner of the 2015 Stella Prize, and her latest novel, is called Wild Thank you for joining me on the podcast over Zoom. For having me. Now you're you're joining me. Um, so I I just wanted to ask at the how are things? Are you okay? <laughs> Thank you for asking. Yes. Um, look, it's a pretty strange time, but I think being a writer helps through strange times. Uh, it's definitely been in a very interesting time to live through. Yeah, that's that's uh, <laughs> one way of putting it. <laughs> I, I, I've got so much more going through now, having been in um, uh, for a couple of months now. Once you, it just seems to stretch into, and it, it affects the whole psyche of a community really odd way um, being on the other side of it to uh, actually something I really noticed like well several times oh, extended lockdown within Melbourne mm. is just how out of it but then people don't quite know how to interact they used to like I had some quite strange kind of catch-up lockdown where it just felt like socialize anymore yeah Interesting. Um, mm. I have had a way uh, in, in the kind of dark days of, of getting an early copy of Wild Abandoned. It is a serious book. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it captures uh, so much of the animosity of, of the age that we live in. Um, it's this story of this anxious straight, white, middle-class young guy having a kind of quarter-life crisis and running away, getting himself into a grand old shitstorm. Um, so so what uh, interested you to devote a novel to this character, to, to Will? Um, look, I guess lots of things. Um, I feel like there's not sort of one sort of simple answer to that but um part of it was that i after writing the strays which was kind of a historical novel um i wanted to write something very contemporary um, i mean it's set in 2011 so it's not quite um contemporary but you know set in the strange kind of time that we live in and you know a, a book that sort of thinks about the time that we live in um and and I also was particularly interested in sort of writing like a, a travel or journey narrative. And I guess that's where the kind of young male protagonist came in because I got really interested in sort of thinking about the, the young man's quest, the sort of hero's journey as a narrative structure that, um, you know, has been around forever and um, that, you know, I've always kind of been really drawn to, in a way, you know, everything 
um, on the road, which is um, books in this novel. Um, yes. But you know, everything's just myths and fairy tales and um, you know, books that I was was really obsessed with when I was a kid, like Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn, and you know, these kind of adventure narratives that um, you know always felt so romantic and and mythological but at the same time as a kind of young female reader I always felt a bit um sort of shut out of that narrative because it felt like it wasn't really something that was um allowed for me as a as a female reader and person in the world you know that it's a very masculine sort of story so I mean I guess that's like a bit abstract really as a reason for um for writing Will as a character and he, I guess, just developed, you know, out of, out of all of that. But also um, I co-own a bar and so for the very, the first kind of two, three years that I was writing or, you know, thinking about this book because I wasn't getting much writing done because I was working crazy hours in a bar, um, but I was kind of working with a lot of young guys and, um, they were sort of the main people I was spending my time with. Uh, and the other thing that I sort of became really interested in from sort of thinking about these ideas about travel and, um, you know, masculinity and stuff was um, that talking about talking to them about travel, one thing I, I started noticing was their age when, you know, I was kind of making my first all my friends were kind of, just out of school and making go to Europe and the UK and you know spending whatever um, and they all wanted to go to New York and so that just really kind of got me thinking about the way that the you know the destination of elsewhere the romantic elsewhere for Australians um, or the cultural centre has kind of shifted um, so mm. that was, yeah, something else that really set me down that path of thinking about the relationship between Australia and America, which is sort of at the heart of this book, and then ideas about travel, that journey out into the world to kind of try and find it. And Will, <laughs> I love it. He's, he struggles so much. <laughs> he does. <laughs> he, 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 I, I think about where he would have begun from as this, um, he, 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 talk, he talks about, um, he's, he's very, very conscious of his own image and he, he talks about even wearing, um, in, the, in the context of, of the girlfriend that he's kind of falling out with, he, he talks about wearing, meeting her and wearing his hipster uniform. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, what, what strikes me about him is, um, and like, it's a way I, I really related to him is he's, he's not even, he's in Melbourne and, and he's aspiring to New York and America and, and the bigness and the vastness and the um, grandiosity of that. But he's not even, he's not even a Melbourne guy. He's a small town guy who's trying to play in the big pond of Melbourne. He's, he's, he's not even on the same socioeconomic and, and really like, cultural ground yeah. as as everyone else and but i think as as part of his i don't know white male psyche 
he he feels like he's entitled to it, right? He yes. really wants it. He really he thinks he should be um, on equal footing or, or higher footing yeah. than those around him, and and it just it makes him throw him throw his ships upon the rocks so many times. Yeah, uh, and so we you know, we begin in this wild vision of of New York in this novel. It's it's a city of of huge excess and you've really affected a, a real in trying to capture it and you, you lose, use a, a lot of really um, heavy and, and brilliant sparkling language to do that. Um, tell me about trying to capture New York through the eyes of this wayward kid. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, what you kind of picked up on with him being a small town guy not even really feeling like he's kind of got to a point where he feels like he belongs in Melbourne and then going to New York where he just feels so much uh, more, you know, um, parochial and and like a sort of hick um, country boy. Um, so I sort of wanted to try and represent that partly through the language, his absolute sort of um, sense of being overwhelmed by the, you know, the excess and the impossible kind of coolness that he perceives in New York. Um, but I guess I also, you know, one of the things, as I said, I wanted to just write something about now about the kind of strange time we live in. And I think part of what I see as kind of characterising that in the you know, developed West is just this kind of absolute sort of excess in every possible way, you know, whether it's kind of food culture or or the art world or, um, you know, I, again, kind of it's probably something I think about a lot because I work in that sort of hospitality, food and, and kind of cocktail culture world and how strange that is and, and how, you know, everything that you could possibly sort of dabble in opens up this world of kind of um, knowledge and, and cliqueiness that is just potentially sort of endless. And, you know, so he is, is kind of just opening his eyes to all of that and at every turn just realising how, um, how much he has to learn and how kind of uncool he is. Um, and I guess, you know, maybe on a sort of metaphorical or allegorical kind of level, I want to gesture to that sort of cultural cringe in, you know, Australian identity as well, that, um, you know, that looking outward and feeling um, insignificant or not cool enough um, that, you know, I think Australians have had a tendency to feel, not that I endorse that, but. Yeah. And on the, on the other side of that, I feel there's, there's this magnetic attraction to the, to the cultural um, heartland as it was that, you know, they, they see New York as, um, but, but when they, when they arrive, it, it both mystifies and horrifies mm. because there's a familiarity um, in the food and the language and the people, yeah. but uh, it's just heightened and more expensive. You know, that, that's, I, I, I haven't been to America, but I, I went to London when I was you know, a young 20 something. And yeah. that was, <laughs> was my, that was my um, 
that was my takeaway. Is that yeah. it, was a, it was a cold, expensive Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you must have had a lot of fun in creating the character of Paul, you know, as, as, a, as a means of um, <laughs> focusing a lens on that foodie bar scene of, of which you were kind of, uh, you know, immersed in with co-owning this bar. Uh, Paul, yeah. is, uh, Paul is a character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Paul is kind of um, an exaggerated mishmash of every chef I've ever met. <laughs> um he he puts a lot of stuff up his nose um and and it's it's not it's it's not insignificant that he he knows paul from boyhood Mm. um and he used to just outright bully the guy yeah and but now they're on a different footing you know paul is is rolling out the red carpet to um to will and and trying to um you know a show off right yeah <laughs> there's 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 so much showing off with with uh iron chef dudes i, I don't know <laughs> what, <laughs> what it is um yeah you must have had a lot of fun in, in 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 crafting those scenes yeah i mean i had a lot of fun kind of writing the whole new york scene it, it is kind of pretty over the top i think but mm. Um, you know, in every sense, like the language, as you said. Um, and I guess I just, you know, I wanted to kind of show that that sort of too muchness of um, of this experience that Will is having and that I think kind of says something about, the, you know, the world that we live in, in sort of the sunset days of capitalism. <laughs> yeah, and, and exacerbating the parochialness of will is yeah is his little foray into the fine art scene which which happens pretty much by accident paul mm. is um has a terrible relationship uh with a, a girl who who has a show and it just it sets up the most wild night <laughs> for <laughs> little will uh how how do you how did you go about kind of writing that scene and and um i just i love that you showed us that scene through his eyes um as as such an outsider who wanted so desperately to be an insider even for one night yeah i mean i think you know i guess the the art world and visual art is something that i've always been really um into as well you know that there's a kind of link with the strays there and that I'm kind of I'm just fascinated by the you know art visual art and but I think you know when I was thinking about the different aspects of of culture that um you know represent the sort of pinnacle of what will is looking for um and that represent the kind of peak of you know that sort of strangeness and excess that characterize um you know i guess a sort of commodity culture in a way like i i think the art world in you know in particular versions of the art world seem to sort of be almost the epitome of that and so i wanted to kind of include that to show you know the the sort of ultimate ultimate um scene that will could be you know aspiring to 
belong in if things were different, if he was um, a different person. So it's, you know, it's like his kind of peak experience, I guess, in his New York um, adventure. And then it just all basically goes downhill from there. Yeah, it really was um, the, the most terrifying bit of the novel to read as, as, as someone that you can't help but root for the guy, but um, it, it's, it's my favourite part of the book. It's, it's just so gorgeously drawn. Um, it, was it a challenge writing from the perspective of that male gaze? I mean, Paul, you know, Will spends a lot of time with Paul who has a, really bad interactions with women mm. and will, you know, he, he's a witness to that, yeah. but he doesn't know how to deal with it. And, and, and will himself as a young guy, he doesn't have a lot of language or wherewithal that act on you know, his desires, as they were. <laughs> but, yeah. but um, he had, you know, he can't see the women around him, at least the young women around, the young able-bodied, mainly white women around him, mm. without sizing them up or, or, or evaluating them at, on the value of their compatibility with him yeah. as a potential <laughs> sexual partner, right? Yeah. <laughs> is that how did how do you how do you write that, or is, or does that just come easy because the world forces that on you? <laughs> uh, maybe partly, but I guess. I I did have fun and, and, you know, one of the main things that I really knew I wanted to kind of explore in this was the sort of the narratorial perspective. So it's third-person narration. It's not sort of, you know, you don't see everything through Will's eyes mm. from a first-person perspective, but it's very close third-person. So there's kind of a lot of Will's inner experience sort of embedded in the prose but I you know I was really interested in sort of creating a bit of a tension between those different levels so the the kind of third person omniscient narrator's voice and then Will's experience and you know playing with that in a kind of ironic way I guess so that we kind of know that you know the novel is not um is not um, sort of placing Will's view as the sort of real or, or kind of only way of seeing the world that we sort of sometimes get this sense that um, he, well, probably a lot of the time, that he's coming from a very specific kind of point of view and experience and that uh, other people around him are experiencing things quite differently to how he's experiencing them. Um, including the women that he comes into contact with. Um, but, but at the same time, kind of not, not showing him from a sort of mean or, or judgmental perspective. Like I actually did really genuinely want to kind of inhabit his, his perspective in a kind of empathic way. Um, so it was, yeah, I, I guess it was sort of a tricky balance, but one that was, sort of at the centre of what I was trying to explore in this, those kind of shifting perspectives. And there's a lot of shift um, in even the kind of language between the sections that are, you know, a bit more of that kind of high 
high style, um, which is very much not Will's voice, and then going into his kind of uh, his more like there's a lot of dialogue that is very different in tone from the um, third person narratorial style. So yeah, it was it was fun just sort of doing that as I went along, and it was kind of like a sentence by sentence process of getting that constant sort of shifting and building up that sense of kind of tension between Will's perspective and something else that's, you know, not, I wouldn't say it's kind of me and authorial perspective, but it's a sort of stylized third person narrator. I love that. I, I also love the, the, the change in gears this novel has. There's a real change in pace. Um, when Will finally gets out of the city, mm. um, nearly completely broke, <laughs> yeah. um, and 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 he, he ends up in uh, small town Ohio. I think the town is called Little Proud. Um, tell me about the the character of Wayne Gage and 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 how. Why did you want to bring him and Will together? So that's kind of another the second part of the novel, which is longer than the than the New York section. Mm. Um, was another sort of almost a separate um, th- strand that that started the process of writing this and it it came about from a news story that I read in two thousand and eleven which I will not um, disclose the the details of because it does kind of give away the some of the major aspects of the plot but this that second part and the character of Wayne was kind of loosely inspired by um, a a true story that I read about which was set in Ohio and around a guy that had a big collection of exotic animals which this was kind of pre-Tiger King so it was a completely new world to me it was just seemed like so um, incredibly bizarre and and fascinating this kind of idea that people could legally collect you know 50 something lions and tigers and bears and wolves and leopards and things in in the midst of rural ohio and again it kind of just spoke to all of those ideas that i wanted to explore about the strangeness of of the time that we live in and the kind of um, excesses and you know and then also something else that's a really long-standing preoccupation for me which is the relationship between humans and animals um and so i guess the character of Wayne, he came about from a, a real um, story that I read, but then obviously I just had to kind of create my own version of this person. Um, so he's not actually based on a, a real guy, but um, yeah, I just, I wanted um, someone that was a sort of foil for Will, I guess. He's you know, there are a lot of kind of male characters in this book um, and he's older than Will. He's probably Will's father's age. He's a Vietnam veteran. Um, he sort of represents some things that Will admires. Um, he's sort of lived uh, a very, quote, adventurous um, life, um, but he's also very kind of troubled and... Um, you know, I think part of what, you know, getting back to that idea of the sort of masculine quest and that idea of 
those um, early sort of what you might call like initiation experiences in young men's lives you know what will is seeking is to kind of go out into the world and and come home a changed person a, a man in in some ways probably although he would be embarrassed to kind of admit that to himself and you know wayne on the other hand had um a completely different version of that in that he was sent to vietnam at probably younger than will and that's kind of had a completely um devastating impact on him yeah yeah when when will sort of shows up in town wayne just seems really eager to have him under the wing yeah uh and you know it, it's, it's it's to, to wayne it's like it's fated and and that you know uh he he perceives himself taking on a um, I'm not going to say father figure, but but like a a, a soothsayer kind of the wisdom speaking role in 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 Will's life, and and he sees that as some kind of redemption in himself. Mm. Uh, and and it's not, you know, he, 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 the reader can tell that that Wayne is troubled immediately, but uh, <laughs> it's it's not quite certain as to as to what the, the level of damage there is and, and, and what what exactly is going on yeah what what does what does Wayne what does what does Will see when he rolls into this town look I mean I think Will at this point in time is kind of just seeing the world as the backdrop for his own journey you know he he mm. sees everyone he comes into contact with and everything he kind of encounters as just part of his his journey, as if, you know, he was a character in a novel, <laughs> which he doesn't know he is, um, or, a you know, a protagonist in a film. He is the hero of his own journey, uh, and he's, I mean, he struggles to kind of, see himself as a worthy hero but he desperately wants to be one um and i think he is sort of caught up in that you know that model of the kind of journey narrative that might be epitomized by something like on the road where he just wants to he wants to have his experience and everyone that kind of comes into contact with him is a sort of bit part in his story um so i think he sort of meets wayne and he thinks oh what a kooky guy He's got all these lions and tigers. That'll be a good story I can tell when I go home. Um, you know, I won't have to kind of go home a complete failure because I will have had this kind of wild experience that I can sort of retell and retell. And he doesn't really think much more than that. Um, you know, he also probably admires certain aspects of Wayne's character. As I said, you know, that Wayne's kind of on the surface really kind of made something of his life. He's, he's gone out and done things and he's, yeah. um, you know, Will's greatest fear is kind of turning into his dad, who's a very sort of passive character who had one overseas trip when he was young and then uh, his found out his girlfriend was pregnant and kind of went home and, and married her and never sort of in Will's view, never did anything else again for, 
the rest of his life and Will is just absolutely terrified of turning into that and he just wants adventure and he wants to kind of not not be that. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 so true. That that comes up again and again in the novel is is the the father's failure. Um and this idea that you know because because he came home Mm. That made him a failure because yeah. he because he returned. That that was the end of his story, mm. um, not the beginning of, of yeah. a new story. Uh, there's there's a there's there's like this um, there's this fear of shame with mm. with Will that just pervades everything he does, and uh, like I just I felt really seen <laughs> in reading that. Um, I, I want to ask what, you know, how do you, how do you research, you know, you, 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 this story came into your world pre the, you know, phenomenon of Tiger King on Netflix mm. and the whole Joe Exotic thing. Uh, how did you research it? And um, without, you know, spoiling the ending and, and, you know, in your mind, like what, what attracts people to, trying to own these kinds of animals like to, mm. to the to the average person it just seems like a abhorrent thing to want to do to have lions and tigers and bears and wolves um in a essentially just a family home yeah i know um i mean i guess that question of what makes people want to do that was something that um got me really interested in this story mm. Um, and I guess part of what um, the answer to that that I sort of came to was, you know, there's something in, um, you know, the presence of the sort of wildness of those animals, the kind of undeniable, you know, even if they've been hand-reared from cubs, there's something undeniably wild and, and sort of... Um, sublime in a way about being in the presence of a you know a full-grown tiger um and I did go to Ohio when I was researching this um and I went to a you know a, a sanctuary where they had a lot of um big cats rescued from private zoos and things and that got to be kind of quite up close to them and um you know there is something really quite incredible about you know being in proximity to these creatures and then you know the other side of it is that a lot of these animals are on the point of kind of extinction in the wild um there's you know estimated to probably be more tigers in um homes and and kind of enclosures in america than there is in the wild you know over the rest of the globe which you know is just such a, a bizarre thing um, and I think, you know, on a on a definitely vastly exaggerated scale, there's something, you know, similar to why we want kind of dogs and cats as pets. There's something about this, you know, the, the kind of proximity to animals, um, what they, what that sort of gives us as humans. Um, and I guess I tried not to sort of be too... Uh, moralizing or judgmental about it but just to think about it what is it that you know what is it that we're craving from 
our contact with animals and um and I think you know there's a part of me that can kind of see that if you had a, a tiger cub that you'd raised from you know very small and bottle fed and you could go into its enclosure and it would come up and like embrace you that that yeah. would be a pretty wild experience and I don't think it's um a good thing to do obviously but um you know I think it, it fits in with a lot of other stuff that that we crave as humans in this sort of current moment of being so you know um for the majority of particularly sort of urban dwellers so cut off from nature and you know the feeling of kind of ourselves as animals and our sort of smallness as human beings and the you know the kind of the fact that we could be <laughs> prey still the feelings of vulnerability and sort of that feeling of the sublime that i think that the contact with those sorts of animals can create that's you know probably quite um powerful and and profound as well and all of that stuff i guess was was what i sort of came to as a a theory i guess of why people would want to do this yeah that's brilliant it's um it's a lot to comprehend and i think you know the the way you presented the character of will and and putting him in that scenario is 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 just gorgeous to read it's really special um i want to ask now i I just don't want to <laughs> you've you've said all this brilliant stuff and i i don't want to i don't want to tinge that by by laboring on on mining points of the book it's just it's glorious and i want people to just get out and discover it um you've taught um writing or creative writing uh for a number of years mm. can i ask what what's what do you learn from from that what do you learn from your students and and what's the one thing you kind of hope uh from spending time and money with you that they take <laughs> away from it um hmm i guess what i learn from students is just I think over and over again how much um, you know persistence and um, courage and and sort of stubbornness in a way it takes to actually write a novel and sort of finish it and I, I really um, I feel like I really probably only managed to do that especially the first time around through the support of my supervisor that I had at the time because I did I wrote the strays as part of a creative writing PhD and you know I don't know if I would have actually finished it if I hadn't had that sort of ongoing support and I think it's um you know I really admire my students many of whom are kind of in a lot more um, challenging situations than, than I was. You know, a lot of them are kind of parenting, um, especially now they're in lockdown, homeschooling. They're kind of getting up at like five or six in the morning to get in some writing time. Um, and I just, they just kind of blow me away with how, how um, gutsy they are to keep doing that. And I think, mm if anything you know what i think having a sort of 
ongoing relationship with a teacher provides us more just that sort of accountability and reminder that you know you're doing this just keep doing it try and do it every day if you can or at least keep thinking about it every day if you can't write every day um you know obviously there's other sort of more specific craft things that i try and kind of teach and i guess my main focus i would say is on you know really specific sort of language level stuff um i really like talking about prose style and um you know analyzing the work of other writers as a way of teaching writing um i really have a focus on reading as a way of learning to write um but yeah i think more than anything it's just you just have to kind of do it the the people that kind of finish books are the ones that just just keep plugging away yeah yeah that's really interesting do do you think there's a there's a big portion of, of students that go through your programs that you you see potential for um great stuff but you know there's going to be that that drop off of of just not everyone's going to be able to commit to doing the work yeah i think so i mean you know a lot of the time the teaching that i'm doing now is with the faber academy which is like a sort of year-long writing course so that's quite different from say teaching you know a first year uni creative writing tutorial or something where it's like a lot of people don't even necessarily know if they're interested in writing they're just sort of trying it out and that's yeah that's fine it's really fun to teach but the people that i'm teaching in this um year-long course they all want to actually write a novel and they've all got an idea and they're all working away on it so i think most of the time i have a lot of kind of faith that they will finish it but um you know it's just it's always a struggle and there's just so many things in life that get in the way of that um yeah yeah Yeah, the people with with my job as a a fiction manager this website people people will ask me you know Oh, then you must read so much. And I, I kind of say, well, I, I read you know, a, 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 smiley, a tiny smidgen of what gets published. Mm. And then of what, what is actually published that is only a tiny smidgen of, of what is created. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. It's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's mind-blowing how much great work is, is out there and undiscovered and unread. Yeah. Um, and and like still yet to be written and, and you know possibly about to be written right now you know it's 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 what makes it really exciting um you, you spoke a little bit about craft and language mm. one of the things you know we spoke a little bit about um the hyper real and um using extremities of language to kind of express this late capitalist New York vision, um, which is really brilliantly done. Um, this is one of those novels that I read um, and savoured sentences and I kept the phone handy so I could look up words in the dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> and um, sometimes that's something I, I, I don't want to do. Sometimes uh, that's that's done out of frustration but in the case of wild abandon it was done with relish and joy it was it was it was finding new gems uh what's what's your 
what's your rules or what's your advice or, 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 or what's your thinking around choosing words, choosing big words in prose, mm. when to do it, when not to? I mean, I think for me, it's all about kind of what you want to achieve and mm. that, you know, it's, I don't, definitely don't endorse kind of style for style's sake. I think that, um, I think I've kind of said this before, but I think of words as, you know, it's the essential medium that, that you're working with as a writer. And I do feel like often, um, you know, particularly in sort of contemporary fiction, that there's a bit of a neglect of how you can actually use that in so many different ways. It's like the focus is more on the content. And if you were to kind of compare that to, say, painting, it's like just focusing on what is being painted rather than, you know, are you using the paint thickly? Are you using oils or watercolours? You know, is it sort of saturated colours or muted colours? And I think, you know, that's obviously a part of looking at a painting that is that everyone kind of takes note of. But a lot of the time I think writers um, don't tend to sort of put that much emphasis on what you can do with language as a medium to contribute to the whole, you know. So it's not just about kind of um, being showy or, or whatever. It's about like what I wanted to show in this novel was that um, feeling of, you know, this kind of, almost too much sort of onward rushing, not looking back, breathless sort of more, more, more feeling. <laughs> That's a bit of a clunky way of describing it, but you know, it's what Will is trying to do. He's trying to just kind of escape his heartbreak, not think about the kind of crash that's coming. And it's a, something I think that we're sort of trying to do in a way in the world, you know, with these kind of impending feelings of sort of dread of climate change and, and things like that, that there's a tendency to kind of just rush forward and, and immerse ourselves in the um, excesses of the world around us, which are, you know, amazing and beautiful and, and overwhelming. And it's, um, that's why I wanted to use that language just to kind of show that through the, the prose as well as through the kind of content essentially <laughs> i love that just just talking about it makes me want to go read this book again it's <laughs> it's it's such a wonderful thing i i really hope uh it, it finds a, a wide readership uh we you you've 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 written not just fiction you've you've written poetry and, and non-fiction as well mm. um do you, do you have a preference for a different mode or um will you write another novel again soon I hope so. I think fiction is probably, and novels specifically, I, I do struggle with short fiction for some reason. I think I just tend to be drawn to longer forms and the, um, the you know, the level of kind of detail of character and psychology, I guess, that, um, that you can play with in, in a novel form. Um, yeah, like I, I, I used to write a lot more poetry and I struggle, I think, while I'm writing a novel to write poetry. So I'm sort of hoping now that I've kind of finished this one that maybe the poetry will come back. I do really love writing poetry and reading poetry. 
but I think, you know, if there's one form that is probably my main thing, it's, it is the novel. Well, I can't wait to have another novel from you. <laughs> It'll probably be a while. <laughs> Emily Vido, thank you so much for your time and generosity and Thanks for being so on the Booktopia podcast. Thanks for having me. It's been great fun. Wild Abandon is published by Alan and Anman, and you can get it right now from booktopia.com.au. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces, and more. Or, if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast, and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore, at booktopia.com.au.